welcome to episode 11 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And coming up, we're going to be speaking to Ben Nuttall, who works for the Raspberry Pi Foundation about GPIO Zero and Pi Weekly and a bunch of other stuff. But before we do that, let's do some news. And the uh, first news item is, is a, a fantastic story about a girl taking the Raspberry Pi into rural India to teach programming. Uh, it's based on her experience of learning uh, QBasic when uh, she was doing it and kind of realizing it wasn't fun, interesting or engaging. So she's uh, used GoFundMe to get funds together to get Raspberry Pis into India. And it, the project is called Pi a la Code. Yeah, I feel that this is really where the Raspberry Pi shines and where it, what it was developed for, which is countries that are a little bit more uh, not so well off economically, but have a lot of children who are eager to learn, willing to learn. And I'm really pl- very much pleased to see this project take off. I, I think she's doing a great job. I highly encourage all of our listeners to try and do as much as they can to, I wouldn't say mimic her st- ideas, but at least try and teach others because that's what the Raspberry Pi was meant to do. Yeah, it looks like the girl Sonia Opel just took the initiative and went for it. And and that's the great thing. Anybody can do this. If you've got experience with programming or electronics or, or just Raspberry Pi and you've done anything interesting, you know, at a minimum you can you can blog post about it, get your knowledge out there. If you've got time and you can volunteer, uh, you know the Raspberry Pi Foundation is now linked in with uh Code Club. So Code Club will provide you with all the resources to actually do teaching, to do after school clubs or Saturday clubs. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity for doing that. And to me, that's the big uh, legacy of Code Club and Raspberry Pi is all of these people who have knowledge have sort of come out of the woodwork and have made themselves available. I was at um, Hack Wimbledon at the weekend and I was chatting to other people who just volunteer. They do after school clubs and it all came from Code Club and the Raspberry Pi all coming together at the same time. So Yasmin Bay has been named Joint EU Digital Girl of the Year uh, with Neve Scanlon. I think that's how you say her name. And Yasmin's a very active member of the Raspberry Pi community and teaches classes with uh, hundreds of students. So that's good to see that uh, the Raspberry Pi getting some recognition there and, and the good work that Yasmin's been doing. Yeah, I think um, Yasmin, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is is fourteen. Has been programming for a number of years. So the, I mean, this is this is real recognition of of the work that she's been doing for the last few years. Um, I think, and again, if I'm wrong, I apologize. I believe she's one of the creative technologists as well. So one of the group of people that are uh, you know putting in the effort to get the word out about what the Raspberry Pi can do, especially for education. And up next, we have a bit of news talking about a major update release for the Windows 10 IoT for the Raspberry Pi. And it seems that with this update, they've improved their performance quite a bit and expanded the ecosystem of some of the uh, supported peripherals. I don't know about either of you two have seen much with Windows 10 core for the Raspberry Pi, but at my recent Raspberry Pi meetup, um, Paul Binder, a friend of mine, did a little showcasing of using Windows 10 on the Pi. And I have to admit, I was... I haven't had a chance to use it because I don't have any Windows computers in-house. And I, he did say you needed that to burn the image off, or at least download the image. But it seemed that all it really did was give him a chance to program directly on the Pi using the .NET framework and the Visual Studio's IDE. And it really just gave him a really nice IDE to, to program off of using the GroovePi kit. I, I was rather pleased. I'm not, I don't see me doing this too much in the future, but it was good to see him, someone who he acknowledged was not... 
He doesn't know Linux that well. It is rather intimidating. And he doesn't know Python that well at all. But he does work, where he works at, he does do .NET on a daily basis. And he is comfortable with that. And he was comfortable with uh, electronics. And he wanted to get his hand on a Raspberry Pi. So it's good to see that someone like this was able to get the Raspberry Pi and do a little bit of IoT projects. Yeah, I haven't had a chance. I don't have a, a Windows 10 computer. But if, if what you're saying about it giving the uh, Visual Studio, didn't Microsoft in the last sort of six months or so announced that they're going to be supporting that on um, Linux. thought I saw an Ubuntu announcement about it. So it could all come together beautifully. Yeah, I, th- I totally agree with you there, Albert. I think this is, as much as a lot of Linux people aren't too much of a fan of Microsoft or vice versa, I think this is an opportunity and a chance that Microsoft is starting to expand upon and building upon the .NET framework. I believe they're going to start open sourcing it, and that just makes more sense for what they're doing and why this update, what it doesn't surprise me, is coming out. So we've talked about the Magpie quite a lot recently, and there's a new book that's come out, Make Games with Python, which, as usual, is a free PDF download if you want it, or you can pay a little bit to support the the foundation. It's available through the apps on iOS and uh, Android. So it's well worth checking out. Yeah, it uses um, Pygame, which I've done some dabbling in. It's a really a really great little library to allow you to um, put things on screen in uh, in Python. And the Raspberry Pi runs it really well. It's actually been, uh, Pygame has been bundled with the Raspberry Pi since um, it was launched. So the very first images all had Pygame in there. The games that bundle with the Raspberry Pi uh, in the, the original game menu, uh, the version of Tetris and Sokoban and those games are reversed. They were all written with Pygame. Um, and it's good to see this out there because, as we know, games definitely hook people's attention and imagination. So... It's good to see a guide available. Albert, uh, have you had a chance to look at this book, or would you think that it's somebody is Pi Games that easy to pick up? They wouldn't need this book, or you think just might as well get the book since it's all about it? Um, I've had a quick scan. I must admit, I haven't had a full look through it. Um, from my work with Pi Game, I think it's worthwhile getting a reference. Um, I spent a fair amount of time wandering around trying to find this. I, I learned by looking at other people's code. That's kind of how my brain functions. I see an example that makes sense in my brain. And then I can adapt it to what I want. I mean, there's a project that I had that I did last year where I'd held code on a piece of paper um, using Pygame from 2008 in my kind of file. And then I dragged that out to use it. Um, so that's kind of how I work. So I, I, I looked through it. It looks to be very clear, very concise was what to do. Starts in the beginning, steps you through it. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend if you're interested in making games uh, on the Raspberry Pi and you've kind of moved beyond what Scratch can do for you, this is a great place to go. There's a lot of things built in, functionality built in. You want a joystick? Guess what? It'll read a joystick. You want to put sprites on screen? It'll handle that. It can. You can layer your images. It can do collision detection. Uh, it can handle sound, so you can have multiple audio devices. It'll play music. So it handles all of that really, really easily for you. There is a few commands that once, once you know them, they make complete sense. But like most programming languages, until you know them, it's like, how, how do I do this? Why is it not obvious in my brain? And it's purely, obviously, the developers put it in the way that makes sense for making games rather than just writing programs. And once you kind of see the examples, and again, the book is good at presenting it, it makes sense. It's clear. It's easy to understand. So it, it takes away all of the hard things to get you started writing games. Well, up next is some great news as far as I'm concerned, and that's that CentOS 7 has been released for the Raspberry Pi 2. 
CentOS is the free of cost version of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. It's based on that recompiled without the uh, trademarks and stuff. And the reason I think this is great news is although you've got Raspberry and Ubuntu Mate as the kind of big distros available for the Raspberry Pi, if you're not a Debian person, if you're an RPM kind of person who's into Red Hat and Fedora and, you know, the, the kind of the other side of the fence, then it, that's kind of been a slight barrier to entry with the Raspberry Pi. Whereas now with this available, the, the appeal has just broadened yet more. And I think it's going to bring people in who might have been thinking about it um, and, and considering it. And now they've got a reason to to buy a Pi and, and start using it. Yes, yeah, so this is just like the Windows story we just covered, where it, it brings a whole new audience to the Pi that might, like you said, might not have been interested in it or just didn't know how to, the barrier of entry was too great. And I really wish more, I would like to see just all every week or every month, just new OS is coming out for the, the Raspberry Pi. Cause I, I love this. I love to experiment with those. I just don't have the time to always do it on a normal computer, desktop or laptop. And I feel like it's so easy to just burn one to a micro SD card crank it up, see if it works out. If it does, I can, you know, I have several pies I can use it on. So I'm, I'm like you, I'm ecstatic to see this as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, if I'm not mistaken, this is more a server type thing rather than desktop. So I must admit I've never used Linux on a server. So this would be a good place to start because realistically, uh, Red Hat and CentOS are, they kind of own that marketplace is my understanding. So if you want to upscale on how uh, Linux can be used in a server environment, then this is, again, a great place to start. And lastly in our news is a story about lot painting with the Raspberry Pi. And I must admit, I haven't had too much of a chance to read the story, but I've had several friends over the past couple of weeks constantly ping me about this. And looking at the pictures from the story, I am I'm very very boggled on how they're doing this with the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it, it's the... Um the persistence of vision. So you've seen many Arduino projects whereby you, you know, you wave a wand in the air or you see things that you attach to the spokes on a bicycle that make a persistent picture. So what happens here is you walk effectively with a wand and it creates the pixel across the plane for where you're, where you're walking. Um, so you, you know, you get your camera, you leave the shutter open for two seconds. And as you walk, it paints across the picture for you. Um, so it means you can create big pictures, you can do fantastic scenes, or you can just do um, interesting shapes. Uh, the big thing for me in this as well, which is which is secondary to the light paintings, this, this is an amazing project. Adafruit have a full tutorial. You give it a, a JPEG and it'll just paint it, which is fantastic. You just say, paint this, and you walk with it. You leave the shutter open your camera, you're done. you got amazing pictures. But what they've also announced as part of this is a, a, a new... Uh, RGB LED, LED, if we call them the dot star. Um, but it looks like it's, it's main controllers in APA 102, which is each of these little LEDs has got its own little controller. So it can maintain the RGB color. So you just say B, whatever color you want, a certain shade of blue, and it'll hold that for you. You don't have to keep pulsing it, which is normally what you have to do with RGB LEDs. And the, Previous LEDs, um, RGB LEDs that were out there, the NeoPixels used a WS2812 controller, um, which I've, I've been playing with these in the last week, which is why I really like this. Um, the WS2812s use their own encoding method. They're very timing sensitive, which means using them on the Raspberry Pi can be a bit of a, an awkward situation. Um, but these new pixels are programmed over SPI. So programming them is easier. 
uh, controlling them is easier. They have a, a higher internal frequency, which means the image or the, the, the pixel color they create is held far more stable, which means for these light painting projects, the final image that you get is more crisp and clear and sharper and less juddery. So there's a, a couple of interesting things in here. So if you're interested in RGB LEDs, definitely go to Adafruit. Look at the, the tutorial, the article, and the links to the, the dot star. And if you're into creating interesting images, again, this is a, a great project because they do some wonderful things with the, the wand once it's created. And again, there's full build instructions on how to put together a, a one meter or a two meter tall wand, which if you think about it, give you the ability to create some uh, really amazing pictures. Well, that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by Ben Nuttall, who is education developer advocate at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So welcome, Ben. Hello. So th that was a bit of an introduction, but can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Okay. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, I was living in Manchester, um, working as a developer, uh, running uh, the Manchester Raspberry Jam, uh, you know, on the weekends and doing some kind of STEM ambassador programs and things like that uh, in my spare time, doing lots of introducing people to Raspberry Pi and programming. Uh, I, sometime before that, I started Pi Weekly, the Raspberry Pi newsletter, weekly email newsletter with Ryan Walmsley. And just, I was doing bits and pieces like that and I got, ended up getting hired by the foundation to come and, uh, come and work for them in Cambridge doing um, development work, the website, and a lot of outreach. Uh, so I've been there for two years and doing all sorts of different projects. So Ben, you do uh, quite a bit of introducing other people to the Raspberry Pi. So what attracted you to the Raspberry Pi and how did you first get acquainted with it? So I first heard about the Raspberry Pi uh, in the kind of early days before, before it was launched, um, when it was just a, we're going to make a $25 computer um, the size of a credit card. Um, and I was kind of into some Linux stuff ar around that time and I'd done a, uh, you know, computing and programming degree and it was just, it sort of leapt out at me that, you know, what, you know, a 25 pound Linux computer that, you know, you can do all these kind of hacky projects on. This, this sounds really cool. And I followed the, the blog, um, ever since then. And as soon as they, you know, I was, I was sort of, I remember around Christmas being really, and to, you know, eager anticipation to, um, to be able to try and place an order when, when they finally came out. And, uh, when they did, they, you know, I, I put my order in straight away as soon as I could get on the website. And, um, I, I set up the Raspberry Jam straight away, um, and started doing, um, you know, introducing people, doing little projects and learning programming skills. Um, yeah, so right from the beginning, really. Very good. And looking at the Raspberry Jam events that you were running, what kind of things were you doing at the beginning? Because I would expect a lot of people didn't have any hardware to actually do stuff on. Yeah. So the first, um, the first jam I ran was in, I think, June uh, of 2012. So I think I'd had mine about a week by that point. Uh, I'd downloaded the image, written it to a card, booted it, you know, typed the word Python and did some, you know, basic commands and thought, this is amazing. Like, what do I do now? Um, so I kept, um, I, I, you know, I, I organized this event. I, I said, you know, we should all get together and kind of, you know, people will kind of bounce ideas around and try different things. And 
see what we can do with this thing. I, I went along and I hadn't really done anything other than just, you know, verified that it ran Python successfully. And um, I think even at that point, I haven't even boot, booted to desktop. So I, I was seeing people, they were running XBMC. I saw people, you know, one guy had hooked his up to an Arduino already and made a little um, operation game, like with a big shop mannequin, which is kind of cool and kind of blew me away. And just, but anyone who wanted to learn from me at that point, I was just like, okay, let's, you know, do some Python because this is a, this is a computer. That's what it's for. Um, and learned plenty more, uh, you know, along the next few months. So in my introduction, I'd said that you're education developer advocate at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. I came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I copy pasted it off your website. So <laughs> what, what do you actually do there then? What, what does it involve? So I do kind of lots of things. So what, one of the reasons they hired me was that as well as doing all the, kind of voluntary out outreach work that I was doing. Um, I also, you know, I was a working as a web developer, so they knew I was capable of running websites and they kind of pitched the idea of that I would revamp their website and expand it into, you know, from that simple WordPress blog into a kind of full feature site with learning resources and expanding, you know, into documentation and help pages and all sorts of things like that. They had a few basic ideas and um so that's that's one of the main things i i did in my first year and uh, a little less last year but still quite you know quite a bit here and there so i you know one of the first things i did was revamp that website build the new learning resources section and uh, based on kind of what code club were doing where they have their resources on github and and they're fed into templates and i kind of just did the same sort of i, I kind of take took that idea and built it for raspberry pi um, we added documentation and um, uh, built everything around, you know, the, the, with the forums still there and all that kind of th thing. So, you know, that that took up quite a lot of my time in the first year. But as well as creating the resources system, I I also authored a few resources and kind of worked with. So shortly after I joined, Carrie Ann and Dave joined the team, and uh, we were working with Clive to you know look at our educational mission, and we came up with some projects that we could do that teachers could use or people could use to learn and we threw those ideas together um i also kind of went out to as many events and conferences as i could to kind of spread the word tell people what we were what we were doing and how um how our educational mission was being formed and uh we've really kind of grown since then do you have any uh conferences or hacker spaces that you are on the books for 2016 um I mean, there's, there's a few that I kind of, they're on the calendar for, for the foundation. Like there's going to be in January, there's a, a conference in London called BET, which is a big, uh, well, in fact, a massive education fair for teachers and anyone involved in education. And it's full to the brim of people selling expensive whiteboards and stuff like that. And it's where teachers go find out what, you know, what new technology is going on in for classrooms and, you know, what new learning resources are available from the different exam boards and things like that. And we, we've attended that last couple of years. Uh, and last year it was a real success because we teamed up with CPC. And so we were able to give people advice about what, uh, what, you know, what you do with Raspberry Pi, how it, how it is relevant to the computing curriculum. And then they could buy, you know, bits of kit from CPC. Um, so we, yeah, we've got that in January. Um, there's going to be things like PyCon UK later on in the year. Maybe even one of the big ones like, PyCon in the US if um, if we manage to get a team out there. Um, and there's plenty of other things um, on my map, really. 
we're going to be doing um, the Pi Academy, the teacher training course that we run. Uh, we're doing a few of those in in the states from from February, so that's going to be really cool as well. Fantastic. And looking at the the education events that you attended, like BET, have you seen a change in how the teachers are are perceiving or are looking at the Raspberry Pi for use in the schools? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the biggest change is, has been seen in the teachers that we get at Pi Academy. So when we invited the first kind of groups in, it was new to us, like training them and um, delivering that material to them in such a way that they could take it with them and put it into the classroom. And more recently, we're kind of, we're seeing that they're, they're picking up a lot more from us. So we're kind of able to give them something much more manageable. And, and they've obviously, you know, a lot of them have put some real effort in in the last couple of years to, to knuckle down on understanding how they can teach this. So there's been quite a, um, quite a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. We interviewed, uh, Kat Lamon previously. Yeah. I, I heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember correctly, she called you out in it. Um, the, it, it looks like she really kind of t- went with it after that with her coding evenings. Yeah, and trying to get, yeah. you know, kind of breaking that barrier for teachers who may not be true, you know, computer people to get them to be able to teach computing in the schools correctly. Has that fed back into what you're doing in the, the academies or in the outreach? Uh, yeah, so there's there's a really good community around these um, Raspberry Pi certified educators that have been through Pi Academy. Uh, we have a Google group that they all, they're all um, you know, become a member of when they, um, when they go through the training. And so they, even though they, you know, they attend different, different events, they, you know, the, you know, month, month by month, we're running different events. So they, they don't necessarily need to meet, have to meet each other, but they, they're discussing what they're doing in their lessons over, over this Google group and things like that. So, um, and that community, they've been sharing ideas and, you know, they help each other out with problems. You know, in the early days when somebody say, I'm trying to install this package, but I'm having this error, we would have to be the ones who help them. But, before we've even got a chance to speak, somebody else has already answered their questions and they're all helping each other out. So that community is really good. And there's other people running um, the coding evenings and other people starting their own Raspberry Jams. Um, and that's really cool. Fantastic. And we saw we saw recently the um, GPIO Zero, which I believe is something you're involved with. Yeah. So um, that had, the development of that uh, happened quite quickly, actually. It was, um, it all came together really well. It's, the idea is that it it shouldn't be as hard to flash an LED or something like that as it kind of previously was using the RPI GPIO library. Um, I mean, it's great that we've had that because it means that, you know, GPIO stuff, physical computing is possible from Python. So if you've already written a Python program, you can easily drop in some physical stuff. Or if you want to start off a project and Python is the, the language you know, or that's where all the resources are for. It's it's great that you can do all that stuff, but it's it wasn't very. We found it wasn't very intuitive and quite hard to quite hard to teach because there's so many concepts of electronics that you need to know in order to be able to do something simple like wire up a button. You have to know about pull ups and pull downs and edge detection and all sorts of things like that. And it's lots of copy and pasting and li- um, loops of code that you know, it's kind of hard to explain why it's doing all of that stuff. So I wanted something that abstracted that all away and gave you all the bits that you that you need. And it, I, I threw something together quite quickly and shared it with some people and they said, This is great, you know, we should you know, we should contribute to this and um 
Dave Jones, who's the author of Pi Camera, the brilliant Python library for interfacing with the camera module, um, he dive in, he dived in straight away and he's added some of the cleverest features to it and he's made it, he's really made it something else. So it's come along really well and I've got some good feedback. So there's a few people that straight away said things like, you know, you're, are you making it too easy? You know, they're supposed to, they're supposed to be learning about this stuff there. You know, you're kind of ripping away the, the fun of having to, having to learn this stuff. And I said, well, you know, if I'm trying to teach somebody in primary school, you know, that they can take a picture with the camera module by pressing a button or that they can flash some LEDs or do traffic lights or, or a robot or something like that, then it shouldn't be a barrier to entry that they have to learn all that complex electronics and they shouldn't have to write all of that code. It should be really readable. And, and that, this is what a regular Python module would look like. So we kind of spent a month or so and we did kind of the most of the work of getting it ready and then just added a few features over the next few weeks and had a thing that was ready for the release. So it's now in the Raspbian image. Uh, I mean, on something like day two, I happened to show Eben in the office. I said, you know, what do you think of this? I've just put this together. Um, and he just said straight away, you know, I'll have one of those. You can, you know, can you have it ready for the next Raspbian release? And I said, well, maybe the one after. <laughs> yeah, Ben, thank you so much, Ben, for GPL Zero, because it's not just primary school kids. I'm a programmer and I had a hard time trying to get an LED just to flash. And the barrier to entry for the electrical stuff is way too complicated for not for a lot of people. So using GPL Zero really helps like you said, alleviate that problem immediately, get to it. Um, I recently have been looking at GPL Zero on GitHub and was trying to contribute to doing a testing suite, and I can't remember who replied to my comment, but they were saying that there might be an overhaul going on with the, the library, as I believe is what he said. I can't remember his name now. But ah, so, yeah, I did, I did see your comment. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that was you, actually, but um, <laughs> that was Dave you were, you were talking to, Dave Jones. Um, so he's actually a friend of mine. He's, oh, he lives in Manchester. He... Um, uh, I, I knew him before I, I worked for Raspberry Pi and he ended up, he got involved with my Raspberry Jams and he ended up creating that library for, for Pi Camera. Um, and then as soon as I, he was like the first person I thought of to show this library when I started building it. And he's, um, that was certainly no mistake. He's, he's added some amazing features to it. But, um, yeah, so he, we did say, you know, we ought to have a test suite for this so that we can track changes and know that when we introduce new things or change things that, you know, things don't break. It's ideal to have something like that from the beginning, but, you know, obviously very eager and very hungry to get going. Uh, and I, I have absolutely no idea how you would write a test suite that tests, you know, that kind of, you'd have to mock the GPIO things. So rather than actually turning on GPIO pins in, you know, in, in real life, you have to, Python has to think that it's done that to be able to, you know, to kind of mock, you know, to be able to test this. So, um, Dave has an idea for how it, how it will, uh, how it will work and, I'll help, I'll help out writing some tests once we have a, a framework for that. But, um, but your original question, um, about an overhaul. So Dave, uh, has, have we found a few kind of, we've been held up by a few bugs, uh, in the RPI GPIO library. Uh, you can do a lot of great stuff with it, but we've found that things like when you keep fiddling around with adding edge detection, you'll often fall over yourself and it will, hit some sort of race condition and it just basically blanks out. And then you have to kind of run the line again just to make sure that it 
it definitely did add the you know event detection and and it's it's kind of it's been kind of a mess to to work around so dave's been looking at how it's implemented and there's some really clever stuff in there and stuff that we're we're building on but some of it is just kind of writing to files and you know you can write to files in python you don't need to go down to the c level native code for um um for that so dave's been kind of looking at how that works and maybe we could kind of remove some of the you know this is an abstraction layer sitting on top of something and you know if if you're sitting on top of something that you know that's a bit shaky then you know your your it's your foundations and you'd kind of need to have something strong so he yeah he's kind of looking at how we can we can do that so that's it's everything everything that's on top so everything the 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 user sees so if you are just a user of G, uh, gpio 0 and you don't ever look at like how the implementation works we could rip out RPIGPIO and replace it with something else and you know you wouldn't ever know because the api itself wouldn't change I'm not suggesting we're going to do that overnight or at all, but um, that's what that's what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So the the plan is because GPIO zero uses RPI GPIO, you need RPI GPIO to be a little bit more robust. So your system has shown up some weaknesses. Yeah, I I tweeted you recently about uh, Scratch. Yeah, and you were saying that you're considering other options as well for block based languages. Yeah, so uh, we have we have a few members of the team who really really like Scratch. So Clive uh, is a huge fan of Scratch. He goes to the Scratch con- conference every year. Carrie Ann and James are really really good um, kind of advocates of it as well. Because it's and I, I I agree to a large extent that it's a great first programming experience. You don't have to type code. You can't have typos. You can't have syntax errors. You can't even write a program that doesn't run. I mean, it might not do what you expect it to, but that's you know <laughs> that's learning. Um, so I think it's great, and I really like the idea. Uh, I've never really understood it myself because obviously I came to it as a programmer, and it's it's a different mindset. It's not for me, and I find that so we interestingly we released the Scratch with native GPIO that Tim Rowledge worked on, um, sort of you know a month or so before the work on GPIO zero took place, and people almost found them at the same time, and they you know people were saying you know. Actually, GPIO zero is easier to get going than Scratch is because it's even though it's you know you have to type it, it's very little amount that you have to type before you you've got some action. Um, I think that's down to the limitations of Scratch that it has to be that you have to use broadcasts to do anything like that. You can't create your own blocks that have specific functions. So I'd love to see a visual programming language that had you could create things like LED blocks and um, buzzer blocks and button blocks and wire them up and dra- drag and drop them into each other to connect them uh, in in a way that works like GPIO zero in, in in the same way that you connect objects together but in this case would be connecting blocks together and I, I can see that in my head about what it, what it would look like but um, I'm not really familiar with visual programming but um, Google Blockly would be really cool to look at it's not something we're you know we're working on right now or not something we're about to start working on, but it's just something, you know, lurking in my mind at the moment. Um, it would be worth discussing at some point. And how does Node? I haven't played with Node Red at all. Um, every time I open it, it confuses me. So uh, has anything been considered for that? Because that again is blocks and linking in. Again, no. I, 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 that was that was also on my mind when I was saying that. But uh, I've I've not used it myself. I, I don't. Um, 
I don't know what it what it can do really, but um, I think they're going for the same sort of thing. It's it's something physical and looking at something on the screen that you can connect up, and it's supposed to make sense. They're real world objects that you can smash together, and even to some extent, there's the I forget which one it is. I think it's Blue Jay or maybe Green Fire. I think it's Blue Jay. The two Java development environments we recently added. Um, again, not a huge fan of Java um, myself, but because um, I'm really into Python. But they they have an, an idea of because Java is a very object oriented language, very very focused on that. And they uh, the idea of BlueJay, I believe, is to visualize objects and classes uh, in a you know in a graphical form and be able to sort of say right click one and see the things that that object can do because that's what object orientation is all, all about but um so that's that's an interesting idea i haven't really played with it much myself but um uh, i like kind of things like that because it's not really about teaching object oriented programming it's not about because you associate oop with enterprise you know corporate systems but um i mean gpio zero is object oriented programming but you you know I wouldn't. I don't describe it that way because that's not what I'm trying to do. It's it's like that for as a side effect that that's the easiest way to provide the functionality we need. So having an LED object is, um, you know, it makes sense to have one and that you manipulate. You turn it on. You turn it off. You toggle it and things like that. Brilliant. Well, thank thank you so much for GPIO zero. I, I must admit it's it does make things easier for those of us who aren't good at Python but still want to get stuff done. Yeah, there's some. Um, some really cool bits and pieces in there. We've uh, I went through all the bits in the CamJam, and most of those have been added. Uh, the CamJam kits, so um, things like basic sensors, motion sensors, um, buttons, buzzers, LEDs. It's really simple to, to use PWM um, to make LEDs uh, to you know set the brightness on LEDs, and that's kind of built in um, built into the library. Really straightforward to do that. And then there's a few things like add-on boards like the fish dish and I, I've recently added the snow pie or I'm working on it currently they're the new board Ryan's made um, and things like motors and then collections of motors make up robots um, and one of the really clever features um, that I really like is when we were um, playing when I was playing with an ADC analog to digital converter uh, the MCP 3008 um, you wire that up to the GPIO pins and it exposes eight analog inputs, which means you can wire a potentiometer or something like that, just just you know, turn on up up and down the dial and read the value of whatever, you know, whatever value is coming out of your potentiometer at any moment. And there was a really interesting moment when uh, we were developing that. I was playing around with it. I made a little project where you wired up three potentiometers uh, to an, an RGB LED, so a full color LED. And you can dial up the red, the green, and the blue values in in the thing to kind of mix up a color. And so the code for that was like while true, you know, LED dot red equals pot dot value, you know, red pot dot value, and, and and three of those basically. And I went on to GitHub and I thought oh, this is a really common kind of thing you would want to do is continuously set another thing according to whatever the pot value is. And I, I thought it through, and I was like, it, it would be really nice if that was kind of built in, that I didn't have to loop over it and, and continuously set, that I could just connect them up directly. And I almost didn't post this because I thought it's a stupid question. Um, but I posted it on the GitHub saying, you know, to Dave, basically, like, what do you think? Um, 
this must be a really common thing. It would be really good if you could do this. Is there any way we could set it up so it does that automatically? And he kind of said, well, I'm not really sure. Oh, maybe. Maybe if we do this. And he suggested this thing. And I was like, this is amazing. And it just means that you, in, in one line, you can continuously set the value of an object like an LED according to what something like a potentiometer is. And it just, it just means you don't have to sit there in a loop continuously updating it. You've just told it these two are always connected. And it, it just makes perfect sense. So uh, it was a really good way of developing something on just by throwing ideas onto GitHub and saying, what, you know, does this make sense? What do you think? And just talking over the different ideas and it, it worked really well for us. Well, Ben, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface, so we'll definitely have to have you back on to uh, go further in depth about the, the various uh, Raspberry Pi things you're involved with. Uh, we'll put a link to bennuttall.com in the show notes, but uh, until we speak to you next time, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Great, thanks. Yeah, that was a really good talk with uh, Ben Nuttall. All I really have to say in, in accordance with what he said is, I've said this time and time again on the articles I've wrote and on the, the podcast is if you're not using GPIO zero, then go use it. Start using it, quit causing yourself a headache and just use it. That's really all I have to say in accordance with all that. Yeah. Subscribe to Pi Weekly. It's a great way to find out what's going on in, in the Raspberry Pi community and what projects are out there. There's, there's lots of foundation information, but there's also a lot of links to projects as well. So, you know, if you're looking for inspiration, if there's anybody getting uh, Raspberry Pis for Christmas and they're trying to figure out what to, to make, Pi Weekly, you'll get some ideas from there. So with that then, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later.